0: One can watch the scene on video. On Monday, June 1st, President Trump left the White House on foot, protected by riot police and accompanying escorts. Peaceful protesters had gathered in response to the death of George Floyd, and authorities used tear gas and other means to clear the area while videotaping the president's walk to the historic St. John's Episcopal Church across from the White House. There, he held up the Bible. With triumphant music playing, he pulsed the sacred book into the air. The president then returned to the White House where he once again passed riot police and gave a fist bump in seeming solidarity with the police as the video came to an end. Over the preceding weekend and hours prior to President Trump's triumphant walk, the country has seen protests and nationwide unrest in response to the death of George Floyd. Many, if not most of the protests, have been nonviolent, but some rioters left damage in major cities across the U.S., including Chicago, Philadelphia, and D.C. Yet when the protests began, the president tweeted When the looting starts, the shooting starts. What are these protests all about, and how should the church respond and engage? What does the Bible have to say about honoring the state and those in political power? Should Christians engage in political protest? I'm Mae Cannon, and this is Hashtag Activism. With cries of Black Lives Matter, by midweek, the protests only showed signs of increasing. Many communities are having multiple gatherings from small, rural towns like Friday Harbor, Washington, where about 100 people gathered and sat in silence, on their knee, for eight minutes, and 46 seconds in unity on Monday evening, to Tuesday evening protests at the Lincoln Memorial where thousands attended, holding signs that said things like Black Lives Matter and justice for Floyd. One sign showed an adorable little African-American boy, probably four or five years old. The sign said, when do I stop being cute and start to be feared? President Trump's responses via Twitter and other means have seemed to only fuel the protests. According to NBC News, the president expressed his ire over the protests to governors during a White House video conference, telling them that most of you are weak and calling them fools. He announced from the Rose Garden on Monday that he would use military force to stop the riots as sirens wailed and flashbang grenades popped just across the street. Things seem to have come to a head with the Christian community on Monday when the president used the tear gas to disperse the crowds in front of the White House in order to be able to take his picture in front of the historic St. John's Episcopal Church. Talking with us today about these realities is the most reverend Michael Bruce Curry, the presiding bishop and primate of the Episcopal Church. He's the first African-American to serve as the presiding bishop and was installed in that position in 2015. For those who might not be familiar, Bishop Curry captured the world's heart and attention during his moving sermon about the power of love in the marriage ceremony between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. He spoke with me today about the nation's response to the death of George Floyd.
1: The killing of George Floyd, it was it was broadcast, it was videotaped. And it was so egregious and so obviously so that I think it has unearthed what was already there and what's been there in in myriad killings of excessive police force over the years, which have been going on for a long time. But this one was so obviously egregious that you've even heard, and this is the first time I've ever heard this, where the heads of police unions around the country we're deploring this. That's the first time I've heard them do that. Now maybe they have done it before and I didn't hear it, but I don't think so. Usually those fraternal orders are pretty protective. I think that's that's a hopeful sign in the sense that maybe it's a it's an opening for real police reform in our country. Maybe it's an opening for a real conversation so that law enforcement will truly be law enforcement. And, and so that, you know, the most, most police are uh, basically are good and decent people, but it, it doesn't take more than a couple to, to spoil everything. And those few are shielded when the system protects them and allows them to continue. Yes. And, and so there's a number of reforms that are needed. And I'm not an expert in that area. This right. may crack that open. Unfortunately, I don't know if there's a national will yet. Uh, from the leadership of the country, of this country. Um, yes. It's going to take bipartisan work. This isn't a Democrat or a liberal problem or solution. It's one that we've got to work on together across all of our differences because it's a, it's a condition that's, you know, I mean, I'm 67 years old. And, you know, my father was, was a pastor in Buffalo, New York, where we grew up. And in addition to having a church, He was director of human relations for the city in the late 1960s and 70s. And in the late 1960s, he was doing human relations sensitivity training for law enforcement officers in Buffalo because this same thing was happening then. Hmm. And and so while much has changed in our society, and, and we must not deny that, this has not changed. And we saw it on television with a man putting his knee on another man's neck and snuffing out the breath that God gave, that God gave. Mm. Now, everybody saw that. I'm hoping that this will be an opening, but it's going to take national level leadership. It's going to take a lot of local leadership on all sorts of levels. And I'm I'm hoping that the work and that the work of the protesters will continue to heighten this until there is some real engagement and some real solutions and some real hard work.
0: Let's talk about that for a minute. So, you know, depending on what news you read or or watch, the story is very different. I saw some uh, news reports that showed beautiful pictures of police hugging protesters, yeah. and you know, across the country, even in places like Flint, where yeah. some of the police are actually walking, you know, alongside of the protesters. And then we see images from right in front of the White House of tear gas and tear gas being dropped from helicopters and mm-hmm. You know, what is it that you're seeing? And I know that not one picture is true, yeah. right? Yeah. But in terms of understanding what's happening, I'm just curious what what your thought is about the heartbeat of these protests.
1: You know, I honestly think that the protests are are good people trying to make a witness and give voice to to the reforms and the attention that's going to be necessary to bring about true justice.
0: That sounds like a good thing. So so should yeah. we engage in them? I mean, are you calling the church to prayerful activism? What's what's your call to the church in that yeah, regard? Well, that
1: right now, that's about where we are. You know, for example, a, a good example, the the St. John's Lafayette Square. The people there, as an example, have been giving out water and granola bars to the to the protesters. And uh-huh. and they're gonna continue doing that. And churches can do that kind of thing, as well as entering into marching with some of the, with the protesters and that kind of thing. In Minneapolis, mm-hmm. that's been going on. I've seen clergy and others who've gathered with the protesters, um, because the truth is, most most of the re- the real protesters are people who are making a lawful and a nonviolent protest as a way of making a statement and heightening public awareness on to the issue of excessive police force and of a system that has reinforced that and Mm -hmm. the need for change. That's a good thing. And that is the kind of thing that it seems to me we as people of faith, we who follow Jesus of Nazareth must be about. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, We must be about the business of making peace, which means making justice and making things right so that there can be true peace uh, among us. And and so absolutely, the church must be involved in a variety of ways. There are a variety of ways to do that. And it's yeah. happening.
0: Right. And, and we're seeing it. And, and Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing beautiful, at least cracks in the system. When I hear you talking about, is this going to be enough to unearth, you know, Uh, the systematized excessive use of police violence? My hope and prayer is may it be so. What would you say in terms of the theology where, where certainly there's a conservative theology that says we must be obedient to the law? You know, what would your response to that be?
1: Well, you know, and one of the things that I've done in the last couple of years is taken a close look at Romans 13, which is always often quoted in this context as being the state is there to uh, enforce the will of God and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What is often not mentioned is that Romans 13 is preceded by Romans 12.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in Romans 12, there is a long discourse about midway through the 12th chapter where paul talks about the way of love and and he concludes that chapter if you will by saying do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good and then it moves into chapter what is chapter 13 to talk mm. about the state and the government the understanding the undergirding understanding and assumption of chapter 13 where it talks about the lawful authority of the state is that the state exists to be not overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. Mm. The point is the good. The same good that 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 Genesis 1 um, speaks about when God created the world and said, behold, it is good. The moral good that is at the very center of, of, of the universe, at the center of the cosmos, that is reflective of the very heart of God. The state exists to do the good that reflects God's good, which we know to be rooted in the fact that God is love. Yes. So it is a misuse um, to simply just talk about state authority as though it has a blind, uh, a carte blanche. It does not. It is meant to do good. It is meant to do justice. In the Hebrew scriptures, that remember that great Psalm, Psalm um, 72, give the king your justice. Give righteousness to your royal son, that he may execute justice for the poor. That is the reason for uh, the existence of the state, for the common good, uh, the common will, the common well-being.
0: So I want you to take us a little bit deeper in terms of what that means in this moment. So you mentioned St. John's in Lafayette Square. Is that the church that President Trump visited yesterday?
1: It is, yeah.
0: Yes. So here we have a president who, in order to get to the church, uses tear gas on protesters. My understanding is that they were not particularly violent. I mean, I I don't.
1: They they were not violent at all.
0: They were not violent at all. And so they are dispersed. And then he goes in front of this church as a representative of the state law, Mm -hmm. you know, that you're speaking of and upholds a Bible. Mm -hmm. And so translate for us when you talked about Romans 13 and Romans 12, and what it means to overcome evil by good. How do we understand that in light of this moment?
1: You know, I think in this moment, I wish that if the president was going to go over to the church, he could have gone over to the church and prayed Mm -hmm. and then addressed the nation Mm -hmm. and said, we must find a way to beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. Mm -hmm. We must take... Weapons that hurt and harm and refashion them to things that will help and heal. Mm. How can we heal our nation? Clearly, there are some reforms that are needed. Let's, do a, let's work on that in a bipartisan way and say that. Clearly, uh, there are some deep wounds that go back many generations and centuries. Let's have a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and let's tell the truth of our stories. Let's tell, talk about America's original sin uh, to the Native Americans, original sin to enslaved Africans, original sin, and on and on and on. Let's tell the truth, the painful truth, um, and then let's work at what recon- justice and reconciliation might look like for our country. That's That's moral leadership that calls us to our to the angels of our better nature that moves us in the direction of what government is supposed to do. May you made me open up my Bible to Romans 13 and (laughs) smack dab in the middle of Romans 13. Listen to what Paul says. This is rarely quoted by those who want to use 13 as a proof text for unbridled government authority. Romans 13, owe no one anything except to love another for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this sentence. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We need a government, e plura unum. We need a nation where love is behind every law that seeks the good and the welfare and the well-being of others. That's what living out the the truth and the principles um, in these holy scriptures. So when the president lifted up the Bible, I wish he had opened it up.
0: Mm. It seems to me, and I'm speaking as a white American woman, it seems to me when I hear about that penetrating kind of love that there is only one response we can have when we see the death of a black man like George Floyd. Hmm. I don't know how we cannot repent and hmm. lament of that very history that you talked about that's being lived out on the streets today for people of color.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, repentance is. You know, it's a funny thing. I, I, I suspect that we sometimes in the church have often trivialized repentance, if you will. When we forget that repentance is about facing the truth, owning up to where we have fallen short, acknowledging that, not wallowing in it, but acknowledging it to tell the truth. And then to turn in a different direction and live differently, change the future. In so doing, we redeem the past by living into a new future. That's repent That's deep stuff. That's where the wells of healing can come from. and And we as a nation, we must repent. and, and that's all of us. Black, white, red, yellow, brown, oh, that's all of us. We, we all got some repenting to do. But last time I checked, Paul, I don't know why I'm on a Romans, <laughs> I seem to be on a Romans roll, but, uh, but in chapter three, Paul says, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. So a- a- as a nation, we all have some repenting to do, um, but we have some corporate repenting to do for w- what has been done to Native Americans and indigenous peoples in this country. Uh, Their land was taken. It was stolen. We've got repenting to do. And repenting doesn't mean just saying you're sorry. It means being sorry, acknowledging that, and then doing something about it, doing something positive about it. And, And when we do that, we change the future by acting differently in a way that redeems the past. We can't change the past. But we can redeem it by creating a new future that learns from the mistakes of the past and applies them in a new future. I've spent a, a lot of time, more time than I had when you know when I was bi- I was Bishop of a diocese in North Carolina and and then a parish priest for uh, um, 25 or 30 years. L- long enough, I've actually forgotten how long it was, but anyway, for a long time. And when I became presiding bishop, one of the things that I do is travel around you know the Episcopal Church, and support and visit ministries. And one of the things that I've been, that has been a real blessing has been to get to know more intimately Native communities in, in the U.S. primarily and to get to know, I mean, these are Episcopalians on on whether it's the Sioux Reservation or Navajo Land Reservation or some of the tribal communities in, in Alaska as well. And one of the things that becomes profoundly apparent is that the very people of the land whose land who dwelt upon this land have been removed not only from the land, but removed from the blessing of the land itself. And so now the levels of poverty are just are just skyrocketing. Even now, in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, people on the reservations, the Sioux Reservation, Mm-hmm. Navajo land, it is excruciating what is going on there. The healthcare care is, is not what it needs to be, thank God, but Doctors Without Borders, because they've gone on some of the reservations to, to beef up our medical presence. The point is, the past does affect us in the present, and the way you redeem it is you got to be honest about it. Yes. And then you have to say, okay, what can we do together? and turn in a different way. And that means profound social reform. That means profound interventions and everything from education to, I mean, on and on and on. That means profound. The very people whose land this was have been displaced by us. Now we must not wallow in that. That's not about repentance and about beating up on yourself. It's just about telling the truth. And then turning and living differently. And we can do that we can do that in this country.
0: I think that's the call on the
1: church. Yes, ma'am.
0: That yes. this is what loving our neighbor in a way that's transformative looks like. Profound social reform, profound police reform, profound mm-hmm. understanding of you know, the history of the way that whites and blacks and people of color have related and mm-hmm. not in the repentance, but saying, I will turn from treating my brother whose skin color is different from mine. I will turn from that and behave differently and respond to the injustice and address those realities. Where do you see hope in this conversation about social reform and the need for transformation as we seek to be redeemed
1: from the past? Well, I can tell you that, Dr. King, and I can't remember, it was in one of his sermons, talked about it. I think, oh, the title of the sermon was A Knock at Midnight. Um, that, that midnight is both the darkest hour and the beginning of the dawn. And he talked about midnight in the social order. The hope that I see is that sometimes when it is darkest, That may be the early dawning of dawn. And when I see young people marching and protesting peacefully, the the violence that's been done has not been done by them. That's been done by outside agitators. And I'm not sure all the sources of that, but that's not been done by the protesters. Do you know that the protesters, they are multiracial? It's not just Black protesters out there on the streets. They're multiracial and they're young. These are young people going on, hitting the streets, saying, "We don't want to be like this anymore." That is a sign of hope. I remember it's Walter Brueggemann in his book, *The Prophetic Vision*. I think, I think I'm quoting the right book. I'll never forget reading that in the early 1980s, where he described Moses at the burning bush, and 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 remember Moses goes up on you know on Mount Sinai and he sees the bush ablaze and you know, and and he hears the voice, uh, Moses. Moses, go down to Egypt. Tell, you know, like the song says, go down, Moses, way down in Egypt land, and just tell O Pharaoh, let my people go. What mm-hmm. Brueggemann says in that—that I've never forgotten it. he says that the moment of freedom began, the moment Moses had a vision of another reality beside the static gods and determinism of Pharaoh. When Moses beheld another possibility and believed that that alternative reality was of God, then it was just a matter of time before the slaves would be set free. That is midnight in the social order. When it's darkest, remember all those plagues in Egypt? The darker it gets, the closer it's getting to the dawn. And the moment of liberation is not far at hand. I saw some dawn, if you will, when I saw that multiracial, the multiracial gatherings of of young people primarily in the protest around the country. I saw some dawn when when that police chief in Flint, Michigan, walked with the protest when he asked them, what do you want me to do? And they said, walk with us. And he did. I saw dawn when yesterday, before the the police and uh, armed forces, came in and tear gassed the peaceful protesters. And then the president went to St. John's Church. I saw some dawn when not far from that very place, there were police officers who took the knee, who bent their knee like Colin Kaepernick Mm. and knelt with the protesters as a way of saying, we understand. Those are only glimmerings. They're not full-blown morning and daytime but they're the beginning. And so I have hope that our unrest in the midst of our distress is the dawning of a new day. Now, I've been around long enough to know that everything doesn't change. Mm. Change happens incrementally. When we see it happening, when we realize it's happened, it looks like it happened overnight, but it happens incrementally. And I see some incremental movement, if nothing else, in the consciousness of of these generations of young people who are out there marching and they're doing it. It's not quite organized, but social media allows for that. They're doing it. Because they believe we can be better. I hope I never lose the idealism that led me to become ordained in the first place because it's not whimsical. It's, it's actually, it's a vision of the reign of God and what that might look like in our time. Hmm. And if you hold that vision ahead of you, then you just keep marching toward it. And you know you're going to get pushed back. You know you're going to get stopped along the way. You know that there's going to be hardship, but you keep that vision ahead of you. Like the Bible says, and it's in Hebrews, in Hebrews uh, 12, after that chapter, in chapter 11, you know, the faith chapter, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then the writer goes through all of these people who lived by faith without actually seeing it, seeing the promise, if you will. And then in chapter 12, after all these, you know, the Moses and Abraham and Sarah and all these folk, um, it says, these lived without having seen the promise. And then the writer says, therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that clings closely to us and let us run with patience the race that is perseverance, excuse me, the race that is set before us. Why? Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And then it says, who for the sake of the joy that lay before him endured the cross, despised the shame, now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. If you've got a vision of a new world, which I think these young people marching today have had a vision of a new world, even if the old world looks like it's the only thing that ever can, if you've got a vision of a new world and you keep marching toward it, you can change the world one footprint at a time.
0: As Bishop Curry so eloquently reminds us, the call of the church is first, to respond to evil with good. This is the very definition of what it means to love our neighbor. Last week, we talked with Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III about the devaluation of black lives and how we can respond to the atrocities like the death of Ahmaud Arbery and the death of George Floyd. Today, our conversation is focused on addressing the desperate need in our country for police reform. That's one of the most profound ways we can engage and make a difference. Get involved in police reform in your own community. There's community watch groups on the local level to national organizations and movements that are committed to eradicating systemic racism within law enforcement from our neighborhoods to our nation's capital. Police reform on every level must be one of our highest priorities. And if your local police force came out and joined in the condemnation of the restraining and death of George Floyd, affirm their efforts. See this as a potential opening to pursue police reform within your community. There have been pictures in some communities of officers asking protesters what they can do to support their efforts. Often demonstrators will respond and say, walk with us. If you see this or witness these glimpses of hope, when you witness barriers being broken, affirm those efforts. I loved how Bishop Curry affirmed that many police are well-meaning people, while not dismissing the realities of systemic racism and injustices. If you want some insight into these issues, watch the 2018 Chris Rock skit, where he talks about police brutality. It's really funny and tragically true. Chris Rice says, I don't think they pay cops enough. And you get what you pay for. Whenever the cops gun down an innocent black man, they always say the same thing. Well, it's not most cops. It's just a few bad apples. It's just a few bad apples. Rock continues, Bad apple? That's a lovely name for murderer. That almost sounds nice. I've just had a bad apple. It was a tart, but it didn't choke me out. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know being a cop is hard. I know it's dangerous. I know it is, okay? But some jobs just can't have bad apples. Some jobs, everybody's got to be good. Like pilots. You know, an airlines can't just say, most of our pilots like to land. We've just got a few bad apples that like to crash into the mountains. Please bear with us. So apropos, you can find the link to the skit on the resource page for this episode on my website at www.maycannon.com. So what else can we do? Join in the silent or solidarity protests in your own community. Where I live, there'll be another prayer vigil this Friday, calling attention not only to the murder of George Floyd, but to the inappropriateness of the responses coming from the White House. That's certainly an understatement. It's been beautiful and moving to see so many within our communities engaging, walking, Praying, taking their children out onto the streets and saying, enough is enough. We will use our voices, our bodies, our votes to call for justice, to support Black Lives Matter, to stand in solidarity with the Black community and communities of color who have suffered so much from police violence and racial injustice. There's a hashtag that just started this week called Bible versus Trump. While we never want to use the scriptures to weaponize the Bible, it's worth taking a look at that conversation and seeing how people are talking about these issues. But may we move beyond hashtag activism and live into what Bishop Curry called us to today. Let us live out Romans 12, seek to overcome evil with good. May we better love our neighbors. May love be our motivation and the power behind our quest for justice. Let us first love our neighbor by not doing them harm. Let us love by getting small groups and churches together and engaged in giving water and snacks to protesters and demonstrators. Let us repent of the past and seek redemption from the past as we hold on to hope for the future. Let us call on our government and our political leaders to do what is right, to value the lives of all Americans, regardless of the color of one's skin, as equals, whose lives are precious and deserve to be valued. Let us be a part of helping our nation become better and to love more. Let us seek to do good. Let us seek the well-being of others and together pursue the common good. This is my prayer. May it be so. Much of the content from our conversations during episodes of Hashtag Activism come from my upcoming book, Beyond Hashtag Activism, Comprehensive Justice in a Complicated Age, out with University Press on May 26th. You can pre order your copy today at a local bookstore like heartsandmindsbooks.com or wherever books are found.